This is The Guardian. Today, a few days of fragile ceasefire in Gaza and Israel. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. After nearly two months of truly horrific war, this week in Gaza and Israel, there were a few precious days of quiet as a truce took hold. Hostages were freed, along with prisoners from Israeli jails, and the people of Gaza had a chance to breathe out and assess the unbelievable damage done to their homes and to their families. Today, from on the ground in Gaza, what this past week has been like. And from Jason Burke, The Guardian's international security correspondent, what this pause reveals about the state of the war right now. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, tearful reunions and fear for what comes next. Jason, you're on the ground in Jerusalem, and after weeks of misery and bloodshed and carnage, this week we finally saw scenes of joy from both Israel and Palestine. Let's start with the Israelis. Tell me about these hostage releases. Well, I think there was something very cathartic about them uh, after the very deep trauma of the October the 7th attacks and the um, impact of those on Israeli society generally, this was something that could be seen unequivocally as good news. The images of families being re- reunited, um, very young people often seeing their parents or grandparents uh, for the first time, even in conditions um, such as they were, uh, was something that provided a, a moment of uh, authentic joy for many Israelis and, and were for many observers a very moving scenes as well. Our sweet 16 years old Sahar and our wonderful 12 years old Erez have returned to us safely. We just heard that they are coming upstairs and they are going directly to be examined by the doctors. This is a momentous day in our lives. We're filled with excitement, but we have not yet fully processed what has happened. Hamas has to go off and find these hostages who are not being held in one central location. In fact, they're not all being held by Hamas at all. Uh, find the hostages, get them to one place. They're driven out of the Gaza Strip um, through Rafa, uh, the border post with Egypt, and then taken into Israel where they arrive at an air base, usually by helicopter actually, and then take, checked medically and then taken to hospitals. And it's usually there that the uh, reunification with families takes place. 
<laughs> and we've also seen hundreds of Palestinian prisoners released into the West Bank. Tell me how those releases have played out. So there have been great teams of relief too on the West Bank. Uh, there have been families, well-wishers, other supporters who've uh, welcomed the prisoners as they've been released. A lot of them are young teenagers. They've been welcomed by their families. Um, many didn't know what was happening outside the prisons they were held in and are discovering all that's been going on for the first time. Uh, but the scenes there have been similarly joyous and jubilant in many ways. Among the Israeli hostages, who have we actually seen have been released? Who has Hamas been happy to hand over at this stage? Hamas has handed over women and children. Um, some of the children have been very, very young, um, infants um, or at least um, toddlers, effectively. Uh, and some of the old have been pretty old and pretty infirm. Um, Otherwise, there have been some families that have been split up. On the whole, they've been looking to release family groups. Um, or indeed, there have been releases of children whose parents were killed, uh, sometimes in front of them, uh, on October the 7th. They've been released. Really, those that have been released are the hostages that Hamas see as least useful to them mm. and possibly actually quite problematic in terms of their public image. And for Hamas to get rid of them um, is in many ways quite useful. Um, they've now got the hostages who are left with them a much higher value and they can trade them for a much uh, greater concession from Israel. And you mean high and low value here in terms of military value, right? Well, not necessarily. I mean, it's a really brutal way of referring to human beings, obviously, but in the very cynical world of hostage negotiations that's what we're talking about we're talking about people who have a value in terms of the concessions that can be forced for their freedom from mm. the other side but th these are the kind of calculations that are being made and also there is a public relations element here and hamas have shown themselves to be very aware of that public relations element and so holding on to uh the elderly, particularly those who are ill, the very young children, does not help them necessarily. And they're aware of that. And on the Israeli side, when you look at which Palestinian prisoners they've released, do you see a similar prioritisation of some people over others? Oh, absolutely. Those they've released so far are the ones who they don't see as a major security threat. First of all, I mean, everybody is well aware that Yahya Sinwar, the leader of Hamas in Gaza and the man who's thought to plan the October the 7th attacks, was himself released in a prisoner exchange in 2011. So that's something that is often mentioned. But those who have been released so far are, for the most part, young male teenagers. There are some women as well of varying ages, mainly young. But on the whole, they're people who the Israelis don't think are going to pose a security threat. Um, the Israelis are much less worried about the public relations side of things. But we, we haven't got onto the 
prisoners who are accused of really serious violent crimes, many of which they deny, or have a very significant political value too. So these Palestinian women, children, teenagers who have been released over the past week, generally, what have they been held for? What are they doing in an Israeli jail to start with? Well, some are detained and without charge. Some have been charged and convicted in usually military courts that have a extremely high conviction rate. Uh, human rights organisations have been extremely critical of the Israeli system by which they hold the prisoners either convicted or unconvicted. The conditions inside Israeli prisons are tragic in the full sense of the word. Not a day passes without assault, oppression and humiliation. If one says the call to prayer, the prison guards storm the cell and start beating everyone inside. I've been in this uniform for more than 50 days. Since October the 7th, none of the Palestinians in jail have taken a shower. There are also Lots of prisoners who've been swept up since October the 7th. Israel says that these are Hamas members, leaders, or uh, people who are planning actively, planning terrorist, as they call them, attacks, violence against Israelis. Uh, Human rights organizations say this isn't the case, and Palestinian officials say it isn't the case, and there are lots of entirely innocent people among those, including journalists and campaigners and activists. From the released Israeli and foreign hostages who have spent, I mean, seven weeks in Gaza under Hamas control, under heavy bombardment, what kinds of stories have they been telling about their time in captivity? There's been very little direct description because it's very clear that Israeli authorities, probably security services, have told them not to talk about that experience, um, not least because doing so would reveal what they have probably told the Israeli security services, and that is obviously important, sensitive information. Local Channel 12 reporting that one of the released hostages revealed that in the early days of the war, they were taken to Khan Yunus, where they were met in the tunnels by Hamas's leader, Yahya Sinwar, who interrogated them for their identities and spoke to them in Hebrew. So some stuff has leaked, some details have leaked via relatives. And it's a mixed picture, but on the whole, there doesn't appear to have been any systematic mistreatment or physical abuse, but some very hard conditions, people being held underground for long periods, children told to whisper uh, for so long that now that they're released, they're still whispering. Um, These are obviously deeply traumatized people and being held in those conditions, often with limited food. Limited medicine, too, for those that need it. And we've had people coming out in a very poor state of health because they haven't received the care they need. There's also been some appalling, really genuinely uh, distressing details about people listening of the deaths uh, of their near relatives from um, on, on Hebrew language radio that they've been allowed to listen to and finding out about that kind of news Um, simply from the radio while they're held in Gaza.
Jason, there are still about 150 hostages in Gaza, but there are also more than 2 million Palestinians trying to survive there in what is a completely shattered territory. This week, with a pause in the bombing, we got a better sense of the scale of the humanitarian catastrophe happening there. Tell me about that. Well, it's, the stories that are coming out of something in Gaza at the moment are really horrific and point to an almost total breakdown of civil order. I mean, there are no police as such. And I mean, most people are you know, just trying to get by, trying to find enough food, trying to find some shelter because the weather's turning. It's much colder and wetter than it has been. You know, you're talking about uh, nearly 2.3 million people crammed into a very, very small area. There are some people who are in houses. I've heard, you know, 30, 40 people all trying to share a house uh, with limited facilities, obviously. Water, fresh water, clean water is very scarce if there's any people drinking irrigation water. And we turn now to the executive director of the World Food Program, Cindy McCain. We are looking at uh, possibly being on the brink of famine in this region. Uh, this is something that's not only terrific, but it will spread. Obviously, there are loads of people packed into the UN shelters, and these are just extraordinarily crowded with, you know, I've heard about 30,000 people packed into a vocational training school with, I think, 48 functioning toilets and four showers. The UN's World Health Organization is warning that untreated diseases could become more deadly than Israeli bombardment. You know, really basic things like salt extremely rare. People are trading salt for you know, large sums of money because uh, even if you have money, you can't spend it because there's very little food. And the aid that's getting in is is grossly insufficient. It feels so weird, to be honest as um, as we have a history full of ceasefires that were broken brutally with killing people, with bombings, so many times before that this ceasefire looks so fragile to me. I expect it to be broken at any moment. This is Fidat Al-Araj. She's a mom of five working with Oxfam in Gaza. She recorded this earlier this week. Today I went out. I I managed to see my father and my brother after 50 days of war and some family and friends as well, some work colleagues. To be honest, I, I feel heartbroken. I managed for maybe the first time since the beginning of this war to see the reality of people's lives, how they live. And it's, I don't think they, they, they have invented words to describe it yet. It's very heartbreaking, people living in the streets, living in tents and makeshift houses, or no, the word house is very elaborate to use families like Eight families live in, in the house that I visited today, in, in a house of three bedrooms, for example. Uh, the conditions of life is awful, horrible. 
the lack of water, the lack of commodities, the lack of things. Like I even went to the market today. I maybe I I roamed the market for hours, couldn't manage to buy to barely buy anything. There is nothing to buy. So the ceasefire doesn't change anything. It's just the lack of um, bombings and everyday killings. As for access to water, food, um, what enters Gaza is barely a drop in a very uh, dry and thirsty sea. It's nothing compared to what used to enter. It's nothing to a place that was cut off the word completely without anything entering for 50 days. It's nothing for the needs currently for people who are internally displaced, forcibly displaced, leaving their houses, their uh, belongings with nothing, getting out of uh, their houses from under uh, the rubble, from fleeing death with nothing. So the needs are immense. What's entering is nothing. I repeat, it's nothing compared to what's needed. Coming up, after this pause, what happens next? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Jason, do you think both sides here will have viewed the past week, this truce, as a success? I think so. Uh, I think for 
the government of Benjamin Netanyahu, it was important to get at least some of the hostages out. The pressure from hostages' relatives in Israel was pretty intense, quite an important political force. Um, it's an important part of Israel's ethos to retrieve its citizens who are in danger um, uh, or have been captured in whatever way. Um, and I think that's been important for Netanyahu, for his cabinet, and for the country. It doesn't resolve the challenges that they think they're facing and the threats that the Israelis feel that they are still facing. So that's clearly a major issue. And it leaves, once again, this a fundamental problem. How do you reconcile extracting the hostages from Gaza uh, with the uh, stated desire to crush Hamas and eliminate its military and governmental capabilities so that it can no longer pose a danger to Israel? I mean, those are reconciled by Israeli officials in by saying that the more you pressure Hamas with a military offensive, they more the more concessions they make and the more likely you are to get the hostages. That is disputed by very many other people. And so that dilemma, if you like, is now going to play out once again in the coming days and weeks. Israel's Prime Minister has visited IDF troops inside the Gaza Strip. Benjamin Netanyahu spoke with soldiers, receiving a briefing on the current situation. His visit to Gaza comes on the third day of that four-day truce between Israel and Hamas, as Israel's Prime Minister reaffirmed his goal of a complete victory in the war. As for Hamas, I think it's been a success in that they've won a lot of time where they can uh, reorganize, they can rebuild a bit maybe, but they can certainly try and uh, overcome some of the losses that they've sustained in the last month or so from the Israeli offensive. They can uh, also try to plan some kind of strategy, uh, work out what they're going to do and what they want, try and patch up some of the relationships with uh, outside powers um, that, who weren't warned about what was going to happen. Um, the people for whom obviously it really isn't a success in any way, shape or form are the inhabitants of Gaza who, you know, 15,000 minimum are dead. Uh, many, many more injured, there are many more bodies under the rubble. The, the destruction of homes is immense, the infrastructure is in ruins, the hospitals are barely functioning. And uh, even with all of that, they're facing uh, intense, acute humanitarian catastrophe. Mm. I mean, this truce is scheduled to end today. It might be extended. It might have been broken by the time this is published. But the basic dynamic has been releasing prisoners and hostages in exchange for an extension of the truce. Why is that limited? Why could that only go on for so long? Well, this phase of it may well be coming to an end because there is a real difference between trading uh, women and children as hostages against prisoners of a similar profile mm. and soldiers or adult 
often male prisoners who the Israelis believe are a security threat to them. So if you move forward with this as a model, exchanging hostages for prisoners and having a ceasefire, you have to change all the parameters, basically, because you're dealing with different people on both sides in terms of those who are going to be exchanged, and the situation will have changed. So something new has to be worked out, and that's what you know all sorts of people are trying to work out at the moment, and that's the mediators, the Qataris, the Egyptians, the US, that's the Israelis, it's Hamas, and it's others as well. And everyone's looking for the second phase. What, what's it going to be? How's it going to work? It, it, one analyst in Ramallah described it to me as this is where it, it gets to the hardball. I mean, this is where it's much, much tougher, and we're into the, the, real, um, the real issues here. It may well be that there is more fighting and thus more civilian deaths and damage as the new parameters are worked out. You know, the fighting is now an extension of the negotiations in some ways, mm. or the negotiations as an extension of the fighting, whichever way you want it. But the two are kind of integral one to another, and you may well see another round of very great violence before there is a new conclusion, a new ceasefire, a new deal of some nature on a different basis. And that could go on for a very long time. So it sounds like one of the reasons this first phase of the truce we think is limited is simply because both sides are running out of these so-called low-value hostages and prisoners, these people that both sides find easier to release. That's absolutely the case. We're coming to the end of that phase now, and any new phase is going to be based on a different set of calculations by all those involved, and they may be much tougher calculations. Do you think we've seen the worst of the kinds of horrors that we've seen play out over the past seven or eight weeks? I don't know. I think anyone who says they know what's going to happen doesn't know. You know, we've all been stunned and appalled by the levels of violence that we've seen in the last two months. And... You know, who's to say that we won't be stunned and appalled again? You know, I think anyone who says that they've seen the worst is a foolhardy. I mean, we, we can hope certainly for something better. The the pause that we've been having has allowed people to kind of exhale a bit. But you know, my sense is that we're only in the middle of this process and this conflict at the moment, and it, it's got a long way to go yet. Actually, it's the question of my life and and everyone I know right now. What are we going to do next? Are we going to be allowed to go back to Gaza City and the North? Are we ever going to see our houses again? Are we ever going to be sure that our houses still exist or not? I I don't know. After after the ceasefire, is it going to continue? The the what what previously happened? The the war? going to be worse it's the question of our life nowadays and the feeling that you don't know anything that you can't decide anything you live day by day hour by hour to be honest uh, without any power of deciding
I do have a three years old boy that I, I asked him the other day, uh, where's our house? And he said, this is our house, like the house that we currently live in with the friends. And I told him, but where's your room? Do you remember your room? Do you remember our living room? Do you remember our kitchen? Do you remember our pet turtle? Do you remember this? Do you remember that? And he posed. And I, I was so scared that did he forget our lives before the war? And then I brought my phone and started showing him videos and photos of our house and our outings and the area where, where we lived. And he started to remember Then this is a huge fear for me that even us, even the grown-ups and, and the kids and everyone, is forgetting what life looked like before all of this happened and we fear that even if it stopped we will we won't be able to go back to to that life That was Fida Al-Araj, who lives in Gaza. Thank you so much to her, as well as to Jason Burke, whose coverage of this ongoing conflict can be found at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Sammy Kent. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we're back on Monday. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.